0: My name is Susie. I have three children, the youngest of whom struggles with anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. I never thought this could happen to me, and I miss the signs. Being a parent is really hard, but I'm here to help. I'm talking to other parents and experts to help you with the struggles that your kids may face. I want you to know that you are not alone, and there is hope. I'm not a physician, therapist, or counselor. I'm just a mom. I wanna see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds and keep covering up the sun. On this episode of the Just a Mom podcast, I am joined today by Mandy. Mandy, thank you so much for being with me.
1: Hi, it's, I'm glad to be here.
0: I'm thrilled that you are here, and I appreciate you taking the time uh, to share your family's journey in the mental health world and, and all the facets that you have dealt with um, over the years. And I know our listeners are going to really benefit from hearing what you have to say. So thank you so much. All right. Well, I hope so. I I, hope that it helps. I think I know it will. I don't think it will. I know it will. So why don't you just start us off by telling us a little bit about your family?
1: So I am married. Uh, We will have been married for 25 years uh, this summer. And then we have two boys, Ben and Sam. Ben is 21 and will be a senior at the University of Kansas this year. And Sam is eighteen and he is a freshman at KCK Community College. He's a musician and they have a wonderful instrumental music program. So he's thriving and um, and in that program and really loving it.
0: Awesome. And congratulations on the twenty five years. Yeah. That is a big milestone. Right. So congratulations. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm
1: sure you and Dan have us beat.
0: Thirty, yeah, <laughs> thirty years. So, but we were we were twelve when we got married. So. Right, <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's how that goes. Yeah. Uh, well, why don't you just give us a little insight into how your journey as a parent uh, with a child who struggled started? So, I'm going to back up a little bit and just say that
1: uh, mental health issues do run in my family. Um, my dad was lived with bipolar, which really Impacted him more in the last 15 years of his life than any other time in his life. Um, and then he also had two brothers uh, that really struggled with mental health as well, as well did his father. And so uh, our youngest, Sam, so I was their elementary school principal. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that, you know, was just kind of a dynamic that um, it was really, really fun for a long time. And I left the school when Ben was going into fifth grade and Sam was going into second grade. And it, it just so amazing how differently kids can turn out. Ben's response when I said I was leaving was, oh, "But mom, you promised you'd stay till I was, you know, till I finished fifth grade." Um, and Sam said, you mean we just get to be regular kids? Mm. And I think that that just shows he, he didn't feel like a regular kid. Mm-hmm. And so he thought, oh, maybe that will help me feel like a regular kid. Um, sadly, I don't think it did. And he had some attention issues and um, sensory kind of things in um second and third grade he chewed his shirt so he almost he ate almost a whole shirt every like made a crew neck into a v-neck every day and he was teased a little bit for that and you know looking back and I'm sure everybody as parents sort of looks back on things that they wish they would have done differently um, and I sort of we, we just checked those kids off you know oh those kids that are mean they're just not worth being friends with and we're just going to move on and what, what I, we missed the opportunity to help him learn better coping strategies and to forgive that everybody makes mistakes. And so that just because those kids at that time weren't the right friend match for him, it didn't mean that later on they wouldn't be. And so when he got to seventh grade, the kids on the list were, you know, it wasn't, it was a kind of a short list. Um, and there were kids that, that he wanted to be friends with that we had not maintained relationships with. So he was sad. He was seventh grade was hard. He was, I could tell he was sad going into seventh grade. And at that time he was taking medication for anxiety and attention. Um, He was doing well in school. He's always done pretty well in school and I've been always very thankful for that. Um, So I had been an, the a principal in the school district that he was in. He was in my elementary school and went to our feeder middle school. Um, and by that time, by the time he was in seventh grade, I was running my own business. So I had some flexibility. And um, he didn't have much of a social life. You know, I, we were always, you know, everybody was always talking about checking kids' phones and everything. And I would check his phone, but there was never anything there so i wasn't always super consistent about it and on his uh 13th birthday he was just he, there was a girl that he had liked and he had told us that he liked her and he had gone from kind of a round you know um kid that was the funny kid to he'd shot up he has this amazing red hair and he'd gotten kind of handsome and um, and he liked this girl who happened to be a year older and um, I asked you know I knew everybody at the school you know the principals and the counselors and whatever and I asked about her and they said oh you know she's a nice girl kind of good luck because all the boys like Mm. her sort of thing (laughs) And so I, I wasn't worried. He did one thing after school. We took her to a local rec center, took the two, them and a couple of friends to a local rec center one time, and she seemed fine. And um, so then on his birthday, he was – this had been going on just for a couple of weeks. And he was – just didn't want to get out of bed. Um, she doesn't like me anymore, real mopey and and that continued throughout the day and we went to kind of our birthday place where we go for dinner and my parents who were very close with were there and I think Sam had a friend there too and he sat with his head down and kind of hands in his lap head down you know kind of very closed off and I don't think he said a word during the whole meal Hmm. Um, And it was a Japanese steakhouse, so it was not the kind of meal that you can do that and not really stand out, you know. Um, And so on the way home, he said something like, oh, my family sucks or something like that, which was totally uncharacteristic of him. And so I kind of surprised him and reached over and grabbed his phone out of his hand. And he had Snapchat open. And I didn't realize that they can save messages there. And, I mean, when I look back at it now, I'm like, poor kid. He was, like, tormenting himself with these saved messages and at the same time incriminating himself, right? And so he has these messages with this girl. And we realize that for about the last week, maybe a little bit more, he'd been sneaking out with her, Um And over the next couple of days, as I'm, you know, monitoring things really closely and check, you know, checking everything and freaking out, um, we realize that this one night he had his first kiss and everything else in the same night. In her, she lived about three miles away and he was going there by himself in the middle of the night, riding a skateboard probably. And um, it was in, like, her, like, backyard playhouse mm. kind of thing. And he's
0: 13 or, years old. He was 12 when 12
1: it happened. 12 years old, sorry. Yeah, mm. 12 when it happened.
0: Mm. Um,
1: and, of course, I mean, it's it, my husband is the crier in the family. <laughs> and that just hit him like a ton of
0: bricks.
1: Mm. I mean, to, to think that you know, that that happened to our baby, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and of course, our first response was that we had to call the parents and we had to, you know, um, and we didn't. Uh, and in hindsight, I'm so glad we didn't. Mm. Um, Sam begged and begged and begged us, please don't, you know, he was already struggling socially. And so to have it, and and she was ignoring him at school. And so to have it, spill over into everything and this is some advice that I actually have for parents you know I think our allegiance is only to our kid and and when I look back at that and even other things that we've gone through that we've always looked at in this situation what's best for Sam like and it, and it's not even a, a a measure of what's right or wrong, like, you know, the scales of justice or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's much more focused on what's the right decision for our son right now. And not worrying about what anybody else thinks about that decision. And, you know, and I think that just gives you the ability to even start small in some ways, you know, like, and, and then re react maybe in bigger ways as your situation unfolds, I guess. Um, and so looking back on that, I'm so glad we just kept it in our family. I did share it with the school. I believe she was 14 at the time and he was 12. Um, and I would say uh, our understanding at the time was that it was consensual. Didn't even cross my mind that it, Wouldn't have been. In 2020, um, Sam did an EMDR therapy um, where he processed that event um, and he realized that it was not consensual Mm. on his end. And when I said to him, um, Did you say no? which, you know, I feel like we're learning so much about consent right now. Like this is really um, a time where. That's really opening up and and letting us as parents take back a little bit of control about and and letting our kids take some control over what they feel comfortable with. And I said to him, did you ever say stop or no? And he said, Mom, I didn't say anything. I didn't know what to say. Mm. And so, you know, I could I said I'm not a crier, I could get teared up real quick mm-hmm. picturing my twelve year old mm-hmm. not knowing what to say and not knowing any other way at that point, you know, that he was so desperate for validation, so desperate and I think we think of girls reacting in this way a lot of times. And um and I just want people to be very aware that it can happen to boys too. Absolutely. We worked really, really, really hard after this event came to light to keep him from interacting with her because we knew it wasn't healthy for him. And um, and we were just trying to, you know, figure out next steps. Um, And he, you know kept going back for more, you know, and I'd find that, like, he was DMing her on Twitter and he was, you know, and I took it off his phone, but then he had it on his PC and then he had, you know, yeah. I mean, it's just like this, it's like whack-a-mole, right? right, And and I know now you can't control any of that, you know, because even if you take it off their phone, unless you completely take the phone away, which of course we did at times, They can just put it on for that day and then Mm -hmm. take it off Mm -hmm. when they come home or whatever. So his birthday is late in February, late in March, the night that we were supposed to go out to dinner for Ben's birthday celebration. It was Ben's 16th birthday, so kind of, you know, a A milestone Mm -hmm. birthday. Sure. Sam came down. It was a Friday, and he came down from his room when I got home from work and just kind of put his arms around me and said, "Um, I'm thinking about hurting myself. Uh, and so thankfully, you know, we had a, he'd seen, you know, in all of this, I also want to back up and say, we had a support network in place. Um, me having been an elementary school principal, I had a lot of exposure to who the practitioners were in our area., um, now, I didn't have any better access to them than anybody mm-hmm. else.
0: Um, but at least you knew who to start with. I right? did
1: know who to start with. And he had seen a child psychologist off and on. And then he had seen a psychiatrist who had been managing his medications, um, who we, we had been really happy with. And um, so I called her. And she answered her phone. Um, and I said, what do we do? And she said, go, go to our, which the closest hospital to us was marillac which is um, a part of, um, I think it's part of KU now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we, and it's literally like less than, it's like two miles from our house. Um, so we took him and they did a intake assessment and he stayed there. So it was a Friday I think it's pretty standard operating that procedures that they stay three nights, like that's sort Mm -hmm. of a minimum. Um, So, I I would tell you, I think the bottom for me, period, um, like in all, you know, we've got this is just the beginning of the story, Mm -hmm. right? And and I would say the hardest part for me during the whole thing was driving away from that hospital, leaving your son. Leaving him, my husband could—he had been at work, and you know there was there was just not time for him to come home and for us to go together. And it, you know, and our relationship is very, you know, is trusting in that way. You know, like this is what's happening, this is what we have going on. You know, so sure. whoever's available no just takes it. care of it, right? She might have called me the psychiatrist mm. actually, and she just said, I, "I'm sure it's really hard," and I just. I mean, sobbed, sobbed, mm. sobbed. Um, and I think that was pretty much the most alone I felt through all of it. Um, and I would say in the in, even as things progressed, she was super comforting at that time. She was very available to us. But she did not have a lot of resources beyond going to the hospital. Sure. He, and he didn't need inpatient care. He mm. wasn't like, and I know from... Hearing your story, that you guys—I mean, you moved mountains to supervise Will all the time. Mm-hmm. Sam wasn't in that same area of danger. Mm. Um, what he need, what he, what we found worked for him was that when he was feeling, and he did start to experiment with like some self-harm kind of stuff, but he learned that he could just walk. That if he went and walked, that that soothed whatever that need was for him. So this might happen at 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and we just had a policy that if he checked in with us, you know, we didn't want him to hurt himself. And if he promised, you know, he had to make that commitment that he was safe, that he would, that he would, we would let him go for a walk. There was an uh, um, intensive outpatient program that we were referred to. He um, resisted that first time and we didn't make him go. And so then we had some w- continued ups and downs after that uh, where he would just have full days where he would just say, I, I, I can't exist in this skin. Mm. You know, I, I am so uncomfortable being me right now. And I would be with him and he would literally be physically writhing like mm. you could just i mean
0: from I, the pain from the internal yeah. pain yeah and
1: and for him it was of self-hatred mm. you know that just the, of his just not being okay with himself mm-hmm. and he would say to me um I need to go to Tibet, Tibet and live with the monks. Like he was sort of obsessed with Buddhism at the time and, and, and find myself, you okay. know, like that was his thing. I need to find myself. I have to figure out who I am because who this is, isn't okay. I'm not okay with it. And I can't, you know, um, I just can't do it. And so Eventually, he agreed to go to this intensive outpatient program, and during this, he's all he's he was going to school. I mean, he missed a lot of days, and so he went to this intensive outpatient program um, in the evenings. So it was like three nights a week for like three hours. My main memory from that is actually these. We would get him something to eat on the way. There was this pot bellies right by Ooh. where it was. <laughs> And he would have a potbelly sandwich, and we would have some really good talks. Mm. So that's kind of a – it's not a bad memory for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was not really making progress. It was more of a filler. And Okay, so let me stop you right there. Yeah. When you say he
0: wasn't making progress, you're saying from the time that you took him – to the to be inpatient hospitalized yep. at the psychiatric hospital Marillac. Mm-hmm. He had not progressed even going to this intensive outpatient therapy. No. And had they changed the diagnosis because he had already been diagnosed with anxiety. Mm-hmm. So when he was in the hospital, did they change his diagnosis? Depression and okay. anxiety. Okay. Yes. He so he, the, the depression was what you were seeing that wasn't changing. Am I correct about that? Yes. Okay. And I would say he is one of
1: those people that anxiety is the result of It's what shows, you know, that's you you see that very like with the chewing on his clothes Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, that that's always been right at the surface for him. Okay. Um, And he and I'm similar. I have anxiety and luckily have never experienced a, you know, intense bout of depression. Um, But but I do certainly relate with him from that anxiety Mm -hmm. um, side of things. Um, Yeah. So he wasn't get feeling better about himself. He wasn't, you know, um, the the depression wasn't changing. Mm. Um, But it was a time filler, so he didn't have to be with himself Mm -hmm. as much, right? Um, We're heading into the summer. Um, I work full time. I had flexibility, but still couldn't commit to supervising him all summer. Um, And my husband, you know, works outside of the home. And he was starting to ideate about marijuana a lot. He was, he would talk about it and, you know, just, he was just really fascinated by it. Um, probably tried it a couple of times during that time, but, but maybe once or twice. Um, and so he kind of graduated from the IOP because it had done as much as it was going to do. Um, and so we started looking at other options and, um, I was really fascinated by wilderness therapy, the concept of wilderness therapy. Um, I know there's some bad stories out there of some of the like more militant type of places, um, but so my husband and I and I asked around. So I mm. asked at the IOP, I asked the psychiatrist, I asked the psychologist, what do you know about wilderness therapy? Any places that anybody's gone to? Any success stories you know about, or even not success stories, right? No, no, people were like, what's wilderness therapy? Wow. So mm. this was in 2017. I don't think they'd say that now. Yeah. Um, and I've known several people that mm-hmm. have gone to the same program that Sam did. Um, so we started researching. You know, we found the organization that certifies them, that gives them rankings, um, you know, just really dug into them. And there's, interestingly, there's a whole culture around all of this kind of therapeutic, residential, therapeutic setting. And so there's like consultants that are paid a lot of money to find these places. Um, We didn't do that. We just did our own research. And um, I have a cousin who lives in Asheville, North Carolina. And we had visited there, maybe even in, in the think over the Thanksgiving of 2016. Okay, So 15 shortly or before 16 that. we mm-hmm. were there. And so um, so and he had loved the area. And so my husband actually found a program called Trails Carolina, which is um, <laughs> the address of it is a place called Lake Tuxaway, North hmm. Carolina, but it's not too far outside of Asheville. Um, And we did a lot of research and that's where he ended up going. And it's a combination. Um, They're out in the wilderness for a couple of weeks and then they're at a base camp for a week so that they can apply the skills that they um, learn while they're out in the wilderness. Um, It was a fantastic program and I knew he was safe. Mm -hmm. So for me, the main memory that I have of that time is they, they had great parent programming. So I learned how to help him better. You know, Mm -hmm. I think in, in, you know, we live in Johnson County, Kansas, right? It's a very affluent area. Um, This was a time period when we were having a, it was an epidemic of suicides. Right. So this spring that I'm talking about, this same spring, we had, you know, people that Susie and I both know. Yes. Um, so a, a couple of suicides, you know, and um, some attempted suicides. And I believe in that calendar year, there were like 17 or something. I like think that you're right. In our it area. Huge. It was huge. And so it was a really, really scary time forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just like, I mean, I feel like people were really panicked at that time. And so I'm getting all these um great resources in this program. And I was also on our school district's Educational Foundation Parent Board. Um, and so uh, we had funding and, and we're focusing a lot of our funding on this problem. And so we're putting some funding into what was happening with the kids in the schools. But also my point was there, we as parents, we, there might be some things that we need to change what we're doing also. And I think one of the main things that was happening with these kids is we live in this area. We have some of the best schools in the country. It's we're always voted in the top 10 places to live. It's like the best place to raise kids, all that kind of stuff. And then here we have Mm -hmm. all of these kids that are at rock bottom depressed. And um, what we never learned as parents is that You can have everything, you can have parents, you can have a great family, and you can still be miserable.
0: doesn't matter, it doesn't discriminate. No, and so
1: what the response that people were saying when their kids were sad is, how can you be sad? How can you, you know, and and I think some parents just, you know, because we're all working our, you know tails off to, to provide this lifestyle for our kids. And so how can you, how can you not be happy? I'm working so hard to give you a happy life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then the kids think, well, yeah, I should be, it's my fault. I should be happy. It's my fault. Mm-hmm. It's, there's really something wrong with me. Not only am I really sad, there's really something wrong with me. And look at how hard my parents are, you know, just all of those things. And so I learned how to validate my own kids' sadness mm. and other feelings and not to jump to fixing them. Mm. To be with him in his sadness or in his ang- anxious times and to say, t- you know, tell me how you feel. And and then and then I learned to repeat back to him, gosh, I'm I'm hearing that you feel really sad because, you know, blah whatever. Um, is there more?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Is there more that you can give me that
0: I can validate that feeling for you? And you didn't learn that in school, in your education. Right? You know, no. so I think that that's something that um, parents need to know, and it's not a fault. but educators are not educated in psychology and you know how to deal with kids with mental health issues. and but yet we expect our educate i mean this is a total sidebar right. but absolutely. because you were a principal well how did this happen to you right <laughs> i'm sure you heard absolutely. that absolutely
1: and you know it, it brings to mind that next fall my son uh, ben was a i think it was his junior year he had one particular teacher who had had a student mm. commit suicide and i remember being there for parent night and she gave all the. She said, "I give every kid my cell number. I want you all to have my cell number." And I have told them, "If you think there's no one in the world who cares, mm. if you think that you know, if you're if you need that last sign of hope, or if if you're just feeling down, I am here for you, and I want you to call me. Wow, I'm inviting you to call me." Mm and i just think about all the things that that our educators have gone through yes. as we've navigated this truly epidemic and, yes. and and i think now even after covid oh, and yeah. you know i mean there's i feel like there's talk all the time about i was listening to a a podcast Of business leaders you know people Mm -hmm. who it was on business leadership and they were talking about from recent times you know but saying nobody's okay right now Mm. you know yeah and so Mm. then you have all of these educators who have been through really this trauma and then kids and families and you know just this is a I have to say I'm I'm very thankful with my life today I'm so grateful that I learned the things I needed to learn during the time that I learned them and that now my kids are 21 and 18 and the issues that they're facing are a little bit different. Mm. Um, But uh, so back to the parent piece. Um, So I also knew the people at the district level who in our school district who, um, who I could connect with Mm -hmm. to pull something together. I'm like, we need a parent resource center. We need somehow parents have to know about what I've learned. Like, had I known this, I, you know, I think I could have helped him so much differently. And um, so through that, we ended up through the support of our, Blue Valley Educational Foundation and the Blue Valley School District, we formed a group called BV Well. The mission is helping parents and their families navigate mental health and wellness with their children. And so we wanted to be talking about it. We wanted to make it something that you don't have to hide from, that if my kid, you know, has If my kid has developed, you know, we just learned they had diabetes, I would no less share, no more share that than if they're depressed or they have anxiety or they're at Marilac or they're, you know, that that this is the, these are the needs of a whole person, right? Um, And so there was just a really, really a lot of momentum. The school district had hired social workers in a a partnership with the, um, our local Children's hospital. And so it was just a really, um, it was a really perfect timing for all of it to come together. And so um, four years later, BB Well still, there's actually a BB Well parent meeting tonight, as a matter of fact. How about that? Yeah. Um, and so other people are running it. I still kind of help. But um, our focus, we, we've done, I don't know, like 60 programs, um, all designed to help parents develop. Relationships with their kids that can withstand a mental health crisis, because so,
0: so many kids are going to have a mental health crisis.
1: They are, and they, and the, the the number one reason kids say they don't want to talk to their parents about mental health is because they're worried they're going to freak out. Yep. And so if we can have those tools as parents to not freak out, exactly. Um, yeah. So, um, so Sam came back from the wilderness therapy program. I was so scared that I was going to do something wrong and Mm. undo everything. You know, um, he ended up switching to our neighborhood middle school for eighth grade, had a good year school wise, um, socially was still, um, feeling, you know, just still had a lot of social anxiety, um, and, uh, started smoking a lot of pot. So, Mm. Um, so now we've had and he- you knew
0: this at the time.
1: Um, so he got back in July, late mid-late July, uh, he had gone he was there for 66 days at Trails Carolina. I'm put another plug in for them cuz it it, it it was an amazing program for him. Um and the first time we caught him was in December. Um it was probably like it was mid-December. Um, and, uh, he was alone, Mm. you know, which is just a telltale sign, you know, I think there people, you know, I think there's sometimes a debate around what normal use is, you know, and it's like, oh, it's just kids being kids. Or I did that stuff when I was a kid and, and, and I think, um, that there's so many different factors Today, and at least with his situation, is that it was very much to Mm -hmm. self-medicate beyond the medications that he was already taking. Mm -hmm. Um, What what the kids get these days is so much stronger. um, And for a teenage brain, it is addictive. um, And it really diminishes the very critical brain development Mm -hmm. that's happening during that time during those teenage years. So that was in December. We bust, you know, we busted him again. We had some tragic events happen in our lives. And my dad passed away and we had a friend's son pass away. And um and so all of that, my my friend's son passed away in January, my dad passed away February 18th Mm. of 2018 and Sam just was like forget it Mm. I'm just I'm out right Mm. and so I I think he just started smoking every day Mm. after that
0: by himself uh I think
1: both I think at that point he was enough in the culture that he was and and he was a frequent purchaser Mm -hmm. right so he was making relationships with you know all the wrong kids and I remember when he was at trails um I was we we would have regular phone calls with family therapy and and that kind of stuff and I was talking to this family therapist and we were talking about how I would behave when he got back like how
0: Mm -hmm. could I
1: not be controlling like that's what I was really worried about was that I was going to be too controlling and um and that he was just going to rebel. And, 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 and I'll tell you, our relationship through all of that was solid. Mm. So, it, you know, he was hiding all of that from us. But he, as a family, things were okay, mm-hmm. you know. They felt okay, at least. Um, but I remember when I was on the phone in the summer with this family therapist, and she said, well, what's your greatest fear? And I said that I'm going to lose him to drugs and that he's going to be a heroin addict and, and strung out in the gutter.
0: Wow. And why did you think that that was a possibility? Because you a couple of times you'd busted him before and mm-hmm. you were We hadn't even busted him at that, that point. That was just your your it deep seated fear. It was just a fear, fear for me. Okay. It was just a
1: fear. Like mm. I yeah. It wow. was a fear. And I we didn't have anybody, you know, we have people with alcohol problems in our family, but nobody with uh, you know, drug addiction. Drug addiction, no, mm-hmm. and so that was just for me, like you know, mm. something I really wanted to control. Mm-hmm. So that summer was rough, yeah. and of course, we were drug testing him, and he kept failing. And what do you do? You know, you take the phone away, you take the you take everything away. Um, and when he'd been at the at the um, wilderness therapy program, when he'd come home, we had a family contract, right? which was way more complicated than I could manage. And we didn't really utilize it very well, which I think is a super common mistake. And honestly, I don't even know if it would have helped me that much because it would have put me in that controlling Mm -hmm. um, state that I was trying to stay out of. And so as we were really kind of getting desperate, I think I said earlier, Sam's a musician. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and he's a very talented musician and very passionate about music. He's the kind of person that's always making music, you know. Um, his older brother was a very talented drummer, but he never practiced. He The only time he ever did music was when it was at the lessons or at the little, um, you know, recital kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? Sam is the opposite. He is playing music, recording music, but, you know, all the time. And, um, and so I started thinking about what contract could I put in place that's going to put, that's going to back him into a corner so that he has to get help. Mm. And so, I mean, we met with a friend who's an attorney to scare him straight to, you know, all of those things. And I finally came down to what is my responsibility as a parent, right? And really my responsibility at that point was food, clothing, and shelter, Mm -hmm. right? So if this kid is going to continue to do drugs, and I've tried all the consequences that I knew I could follow through with, at least, Mm -hmm. you know, um, he's 14 at the time, you know, so what can we put in place that, that kind of holds him accountable? And so I just came up with like four things that were like, you know, leading a healthy lifestyle, pursuing your passions, being a participating member of the family and, you know, just showing up as a respectful person in the world. Right. And um, and that if he wasn't doing those things, that our responsibility to him was food, clothing and shelter. And so he was like, sure, fine. And so then one day I was taking him to his guitar lesson and I said, so and we had found a sobriety program for him to do a free local program that I knew some people that had had some sex success with. Um, and I said, so today's your last day of guitar lessons. If you don't start going to this sobriety program. And he's like, I mean, he couldn't, I mean, he hadn't put two and two together and he's like, what? That's totally not fair. Mm -hmm. And, and I said, well, you really, you want to talk about what's Mm -hmm. not fair. Right. Um, and so he said, okay, I'll go.
0: Wow. He was so desperate for his guitar yes. lessons that he yes. agreed to go to the program. So
1: I know that we had that and a lot of other parents don't have that. You know, that, that yeah, passion. something that, yeah. that their child's really yeah. passionate about. Yeah. Mm. Um, but that was the key for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he went the next night and has been sober ever since. Wow. Um, the program that he did is called Full Circle. It's a 12-step program, um, based on having them have something to do that's more fun than getting high. So it's an automatic friend group of kids that accept you Mm -hmm. and love you for who you are. Um, and, uh, there were two meetings a week and then every weekend he had, it's, it was, it's like a youth
0: group Mm -hmm. for drug addicts. Which is great because it was meeting a need that he had never had met. Ever. Never, mm.
1: ever had
0: met. Wow. So all of a sudden he has community and friends and something to do on the weekends and a couple of meetings during the week to see the same friends. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. And then the secret sauce is then I can
1: turn around and help other people. Mm. And that's what builds my self-esteem.
0: Wow. So that's part of the program is they teach them to want to help other people. And so so that they sponsor that. other kids. Okay. They um you know Sam was
1: 14 when he started the program and yeah. the program goes up to kids that are like 24. Okay. So he couldn't drive, you know, so the older kids drive him around. Wow. The old you know they there's just this amazing synergy in how the kids work with each other to Um, keep everybody on the right path, and one of the things. So I told you, my first hardest day was Mm -hmm. um, leaving him at Marillac. My second hardest day was letting him go to the rehab. Mm. It was. It wasn't rehab because it's not. It's just a. They they don't even have an intensive outpatient. It's just a, a sobriety program. But turning him over. To all these drug mm. addicts.
0: Because what your first thought is like, well, so he's going to go hang out with drug addicts. Well, Who what are do they a lot do? worse than
1: he did. He's done. Mm. You know, I mean, I that was like, woo, so hard that. I bet. Yeah. So I learned the power of prayer mm. through all of this. And, you know, just I think you just for me, I just constantly pray that if the, the path is laid before, you know, before me and that we choose the right path and and trust you know and then when you get further into the recovery work because as a parent a part of that program was a parent program where we worked the steps too.
0: Oh, that's good. I was going to ask you what, what did they do for parents? Yeah.
1: Well, there's a a number of things, but, um, so I learned that I can, you know, and in a 12 step program, it's not, it's non-denominational. You just have to believe in a higher power, Mm -hmm. which actually for the kids, when they start is the group of kids Mm. because they just aren't they're they are so hope they feel so hopeless mm-hmm. at that time that's what gives them hope and and then they learn the meaning for themselves of what that higher power mm-hmm. is and stands for and whether it's god or whatever other religion they might be a part of or if it become you know whatever it's just what their higher power is that a power greater than us mm-hmm. um and so then as parents we learn to give it to god and so i it is i can't control my kids life. That's right. I can't control the decisions that right. they make. I can't, it, it's none of it is mine to control. Yeah. The only thing I can control is me Yep. and how I interact with them and how I learn to relate to them, which, so I really participated wholeheartedly in the program because it gave us a common language. Yes. Um, and my husband, He came um, for the first year. He came to Mm -hmm. all the parent meetings and, you know, I mean, did his, you know, due diligence Mm -hmm. um, and was very on board with the program. And then I stayed on and
0: led the program for the next. So you just finished leading. In March. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You became a leader because you felt so passionate about what
1: they're doing. You know, what happened through this program. So and I think it's a combination that I had. Sam went to trails, he learned how to work on himself and I kind of learned how to work on myself as a parent. Mm. So we were both a little more, a little further along than maybe a lot of people when they enter the program because they hadn't had this opportunity that we had had. Um, And so I was pretty open right away to what can I do differently as a parent and, and focused on not that I want my kid to turn out to be exactly who I always pictured mm-hmm. they would be, but the the most valuable thing I have with my child is a relationship. Yes, and
0: and honestly, nothing else matters. Right. That's that is yes, and I think once you've been through what we have been right. through, you it takes something like that to really realize that. Mm-hmm. And I had another mom, um, on season one who said something to the effect of when you have a child who is mentally ill you have to you know shift your mind and change your dreams for what that child's life is going to be like right and that was I mean even all these years later I was like that is a profound statement but so true absolutely because it you know it doesn't always look like what we thought it was going to when when they were 4 or 5 6 years old. Not
1: at all. And I think, you know, we do so much comparison. Yes. In this um, you know, just in the in our culture in our world, today. Yeah. yeah. And um, and I think, you know, we all have visions, you know, I sometimes I do parent talks, you know, mm-hmm. and um, one thing I talk about is that really the determining factor in our relationships with our kids as they get older, is how we as parents come to terms with the fact that they are not necessarily on the path that we chose for them Mm -hmm. and it's not our path it's not our life we're not in control of that and the more we try to force them on our path the less happy they're going to be absolutely as adults and we
0: learned that one the hard way (laughs)
1: and and so many and you know i think you just saying that though we have to learn lessons and a yes. lot of times we have to learn in the hard way and if we can turn those lessons around like you've done with this podcast to help so many people and and I think that um you know we the the our life is made up of challenges mm-hmm. and what we do with those challenges determines our legacy for sure so
0: all right so I'm gonna push back on something for you because mm-hmm. I know you like a challenge so here we go. <laughs> The wilderness therapy, and you're very excited about it, and you feel like it really served a strong purpose. So if it was so good, then why did he come home and start smoking pot and doing other drugs? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, yeah, the wilderness therapy wasn't cheap either. I'm sure. Yeah.
1: So, um, yeah, so we, you know, we're possibly beating ourselves up a little bit. I, I, I actually never did. I mean, I'm... I, um, so at that point I felt like this was the path. So this is me, this is my thinking about it. And then I'll give more of a less personal thinking about it. But my thinking about it is, um, you know, this was the path that was laid out for us. And, um, I'm, I'm actually really thankful that this happened so soon after Because he ended up thriving Hmm. in his teen years. And so we, the wilderness therapy prepared us and him to be very successful in this program. Without Mm -hmm. the wilderness therapy, I'm not so sure. I, I think we would have had to go the residential route mm-hmm. for him for a more traditional rehab setting we would have had to do it somehow mm-hmm. and so i feel like we addressed it so that was just how we addressed part of his issues mm-hmm. he had more issues and um and so and i i don't think i ever had the expectation that wilderness therapy was going to fix yeah. him be sam was going to be sam mm. no matter what Um, so, uh, so I, I do feel like it really helped us address the, even though we waited what felt like a really long time from, you know, when we knew it was really a problem, you know, it was several months till he ended up going to the, Mm -hmm. um, recovery program. But, um, but actually when you look at what happens with most teens, they end up failing school before right. you know. There, it gets way more out of control, right? So than it did
0: with him. Mm-hmm. And so, in other words, you feel like the wilderness therapy was just part of the, part of the whole. Absolutely. Road to healing, uh-huh. and For it sure. played a role. And then, mm-hmm. obviously, the recovery program played a big role as well.
1: Right, and I think you know, I, with anybody who's been through recovery, they could relapse tomorrow. Sure. Um. And so and and in my view, um, I, I, you know, as the parent of a teen in recovery, you're always kind of thinking, oh, you know, what if holding what your breath? Yeah. Um, and for me, the amount the growth that he has done that that, that number one, his brain was able to continue to develop during that time. I just kept thinking, if we can get him to 18, mm. if we can keep him sober till he's 18, then that's at least one feat, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so he now, as an adult, having graduated from this program, is super involved in one of the local AA groups. He leads the newcomer groups. Wow. So he still is giving back. Mm-hmm. and And he learned through the Full Circle program
0: really how to help other people. Mm. That's great. Yeah, and that's a gift that he'll have forever. Right. And is the Full Circle program, is it a nationwide program, or is it just Um, a local program? No, it is. It originated
1: in Arizona, um, and there is a program in Arizona, Kansas City, Denver.
0: Okay, well, I'll make sure and put it in the show notes um, so that people can... Access that reference. Uh-huh. So do you spend a lot of time worrying that he's going to relapse? No. How do you control that? Um, Not to use the wrong word because we've been talking about control issues. But, but this isn't controlling
1: him. <laughs> right? It's controlling right. me. Right? Um, so along the way, there have been so many moments where I'm like, oh, this is it. This he, He's totally going to relapse. <laughs> and he didn't. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, COVID, I mean, so here's my kid who is where he is because he has this instant group of friends. And then all of a sudden you have to stay in your house. Oh, I mean, that was some scary stuff. Um, now we did, um, he had a, we said, okay, so what we're going to do is we're just going to make the whole thing smaller. And we were like, pick a handful of Mm -hmm. people from the sobriety group that you, you know, and then they're only going to see you and you're only going to see them. And so he didn't have to completely isolate. Yes. Um. They still, they did a great job with virtual stuff. Yeah. Um, and then eventually got the status of like a, a, a you know, something that was needed. Yes. Essential. Right. Yeah. And so then they were able to
0: continue Good. to meet. Um. So that, was so scary. I'm sure. Yeah, because you heard about all of the, you know, programs and meetings and whatever. They got just shut down, and the the overdoses and the right. I mean, t- t- terrible and still happening. People couldn't get the help. Yeah, they couldn't get and the help they needed.
1: Yeah, tragic. so we were th- so many, so many things about our story. Mm. I mean, we just are so so grateful for. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then so Sam's a musician. He had always pictured himself going to the UMKC Music Conservatory for their jazz studies program, Um, and he didn't get in. Mm. And, you know, that was as a parent, like, okay, it's not not my path, not my path.
0: (laughs) And you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. uh And I'm mm -hmm. like,
1: I mean, that, it was so hard for him. So, 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 so hard for him. Um, But continue to have faith mm-hmm. and really within and I mean Sam's amazing. I mean the coping strategies and his strength and resilience it's just undeniable. Mm-hmm. I mean it is I, I I don't know anybody who is more resilient and stronger and in tune with himself and what he needs and um and he is very disciplined in doing those things. Um, and so he stayed open. Um, one of the things that was a huge blessing for us through high school was band. Um, and so he also, he plays jazz guitar, but he also plays the tuba and he's a really good tuba player. And so other, you know, other times where I'm like, oh no, everything's going to fall apart. The, (laughs) um, the high school music director who had been there Uh, his freshman, sophomore and junior year left Mm. between junior and senior year. New one came on, Mm. you know, and and actually the new one was great. And I think we loved the first one and the second one was great. And I think they really helped Sam, you know, they they both had different strengths and Mm -hmm. what Sam needed at the right time. Mm. And so um, the current music director was like, I'm going to hook you up with um, the – Kansas City, Kansas Community College Program Director. And um, once we made contact with him, it was like, oh, duh. This is what he was meant to be doing mm. all along. Um, and he is, couldn't be happier in the program now. He's making, I mean, and it is actually one of the best instrumental music programs offered by a community college in mm, the country. That's amazing. Um And so, yeah, so he's just, so he's, um, so we got a scholarship, which, you know, it's not a ton of money, but it's really
0: validating. Absolutely. Somebody wants to give me money to come and do what I think I'm pretty good at. Exactly. Exactly. And so he just, I mean, he Mm. just keeps on
1: keeping on and it's pretty amazing. It really is. And
0: he's living on his own. He is. Yep doing really well mm-hmm. and so he's in his second year is that correct no it's his, oh, it's first, his year. first year it's His okay. freshman year okay yeah. and he's doing great yeah and wow and if you think back to you know when he's 12 13 14 would you have ever in a million years imagined that he would be as successful as he is right now
1: um you know at that point when we were going through such hard things, I didn't I, 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 I didn't even know what was in the future yeah. you know but here is what I will tell you is that we have a relationship that I would never have dreamt of mm. and and throughout the whole experience the the as our relationship has evolved um. It's it's worth everything. Yeah. And and I think that what makes what's so great about it is I don't know what the future has in store for Sam, but I do know that he has the tools to have the life that's going to be the most fulfilling for him. Mm-hmm. And whatever I would have pictured
0: wouldn't have been the most fulfilling for him. Yeah. I, I just love what you said about the relationship part because Oh my gosh, the the depth and the, just the, I don't know, I can't, I can't even hardly put it into words, but once you've been through all of this, yeah. like, the little things seem so little. And, yeah. like, we even talked with Will about that, I think maybe on the podcast, I can't even remember, but, like, you know, normal things that... Teenagers and their parents fight about. Right. You're like, well, you know, okay, yeah, whatever. You want to stay out till twelve thirty? Fine. You know, yeah. oh right, I'm pretty much okay with that because, you know, I know you're going to be okay, right? I mean, I used to
1: have to say to him, and you know, part of the sobriety group was a lot of late nights, staying over at people's houses, staying, you know, just keeping the party, mm-hmm. you know, their sobriety party mm-hmm. going. And I would have to. He'd ask me to do something, and I'd say, well, Sam. It goes against all conventional parenting wisdom. Mm-hmm. So let me think about it, and then I'm going to go back to one of the things I said at the very beginning. The only person I was accountable to in terms of making parenting decisions—I mean, my husband and I—was mm-hmm. Sam. Mm. So who cares about conventional parenting wisdom? Right. It, it's not. It's Sam was not thriving with conventional parenting. Right. And so I looked at, you know, does more time with these kids help Sam grow? If the answer is yes, do it, Mm -hmm. you know? So when he was, gosh, his um, junior spring break of his junior year, he drove to Colorado with some friends um, and stayed. I I have no idea who he stayed with because there's another full Mm -hmm. circle there. And there's just this. Um, given that they, across the country, take care of each other. Mm. So they'll take these road trips to, you know, and just what they learn about themselves in having to be self-sufficient and having these experiences. I think, you know, one of the things in conventional parenting wisdom, is that we have a really, really, really hard time letting our kids figure stuff out on their own. For sure. Letting them fail. Yep. <laughs> letting them get in, you know, letting them get themselves out of a hard situation mm-hmm. that they got themselves into.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, and so he, a huge part of kids recovering from depression, anxiety, and uh, addiction is Self-esteem, yes, and learning that they are capable in the world, and so they so through those sort of unconventional adventures, he developed so many important skills. Mm-hmm. Um, another kind of milestone time that I will never forget is um, when he was a year sober. There's, you know, there's big. Um, Kind of celebrations right. for people when they hit certain benchmarks in sobriety, and the year was a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And um, the night that at the meeting that they celebrated Sam's year, we would this was pre-COVID, and we would go to um, there was a Culver's right by where they met, and so the parents it was called coffee, you know, and and everybody would go after the meeting, and that way. The, the parents that were at the meeting would go and the kids that were at the meeting and you could see who the kids were and you got to put parents with kids mm-hmm. and you could talk about things that aren't normal conversations that you would have in a regular support group meeting and that kind of thing. And um, as I pulled up to Culver, Sam had beat me there. And he was waiting for me in the parking lot. And he was just sobbing. And he just said, I I I don't know how to tell you how much you've done for me mm. to get to this point and to support me and be there for me and um and just just that I mean and and then you just hugged me and mm. and cried
0: wow. and um I mean what parent wouldn't want their kid to well and how know. many what was he 16 17 at the time oh no he was he was 15 he was 15 what 15 year old says that or yeah. even or realizes it I mean I think a lot of times yeah. kids realize it when they're like 25 right absolutely looking back right. you know oh I
1: was a real jerk to you right. mom or you know
0: yeah oh yeah well uh, I mean I, I try not to get emotional when yeah. I'm doing this but that just that got me. That made me tear up because yeah. that's a beautiful. It was beautiful an amazing picture. moment,
1: and I just, I mean, it's, you know, some of those just really, really precious moments mm-hmm. in life. The, some of the awful ones, yeah, like dropping them off at Maryland, yeah, and then some of the precious ones are, you know, and and I'm I'm thankful that I have both of those yeah. so that I can see
0: where where we've come, yeah. where he's come, where I've come. So. Wow. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to make sure and let the listeners know or you've given um, some really good
1: tips? Yeah, I just think um, utilizing all the resources out there. I think um, there's a therapy called EMDR mm-hmm. therapy that's been really, really helpful for me and for Sam. Um, I think uh, just being open to whatever maybe less conventional resources that are out there. Um, because every kid is different and every child parent relationship is different. Um, so I think just keeping an open mind, um, and, you know, and I also think, um, for parents who have kids that are struggling, you know, to, to share it and talk about it because that's the only way you can address
0: feeling alone. Yes. Mm, That's really good, Mandy. Thank you so much. You've been just such a, an inspiring story. Um, you're sharing your hope, but you also shared a lot of really hard, painful things. And I think that's, that's the message that we want to let people know is that you're not alone and there is hope. There is hope.
1: And, and, and I mean, and even things that are beyond your wildest dreams are, they're still, they're still available. They're still, they're still achievable. Um, you just don't, have control over what they might be,
0: and what go. they look like. That is so true.
1: So and I appreciate you sharing all these people's stories and you know, giving a voice to this and putting yourself and your family and you know, that's a it's a that's a huge investment.
0: Well, thank you. I just want people to know yeah. again that they are not alone and there is hope. And so if one person listens and and feels that then mission accomplished so thank you again mandy for being on this episode of the just a mom podcast thanks for having me if you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or ideation please call the national suicide prevention lifeline at nine eight eight Wanna see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds, and keep covering up the sun. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please share this with your friends and anyone you think may find these interviews helpful. Thanks again for listening to Just a Mom.